So in the tradition that I come from, as far as uh, the lineage in Buddhism that I've mostly practiced in, is the Thai forest tradition, which, not surprisingly, is uh, founded in Thailand, but has been <laughs> a surprise, uh, but has made its way um, across the globe. Uh, and one of the reasons it's done that is through one very revered, re- very respected teacher uh, whose name was Ajahn Chah. And Ajahn Chah, uh, he's responsible for being a main teacher for many of my teachers and probably many of your teachers as well. And so his words and and wisdom are deeply rooted in um, the teachings that I offer as well as many others who sit on the seat. And this is a story of Ajahn Chah, and a simple one, uh, but it was one that I heard really early on, maybe, maybe the second or third time coming to a Dharma hall like this. So Ajahn Chah is addressing his students in this moment, and he holds up a little cup, and he says, Do you see this teacup? For me, this glass is already broken. I enjoy it. I drink out of it. It holds my water admirably, sometimes even reflecting the sun in beautiful patterns. If I should tap it, it has a lovely ring to it. But when I put this glass on the shelf and the wind knocks it over or my elbow brushes it off the table and it falls to the ground and shatters, I say, of course. When I understand that the glass is already broken, every moment with it is precious. So for me, when I heard that story, uh, I had come to the practice hungry for something. I didn't really know what I was looking for, but I was hungry for something. And there was something about this story that for me at that time just landed. I, uh, I imagine it just landing right in my lap as I'm sitting uh, on my meditation cushion listening to somebody who I don't even remember who it was um, bring this story into their Dharma talk. And this story is pointing, of course, to the truth of impermanence, that nothing is permanent, everything conditioned is, um, will come and go that this is a natural law of nature. It's not a Buddhist law. This is a natural law of nature. And so, you know, it's not a Buddhist law, so it's something that we can all, we don't have to subscribe to any particular uh, philosophy or religion to understand it. It's something that as human beings we come in contact with all the time. And we come in contact with this truth uh, when we are aging, Our bodies change when we get sick. We come in contact with this uh, truth when we encounter death. We come in contact uh, with it when there's huge shifts in our lives, whether it's related to work or relationships. We come in contact with this truth just reflecting on who we are and how much we've changed over time. 
you know, the seasons, uh, the, the time of day, we're constantly in relationship on some level with this truth. And yet, and yet, we may not have fully brought it into our knowing. It might be something more on the periphery as a truth of life, but have we uh, brought it in so that we're actually embodying that truth? Is it something that is um, part of our intuitive knowing of how things really are? Most people, I would say, no. And the reason I say that is because most of us don't live our lives in accordance with this truth. We live our lives thinking, you know, we're going to die when we're old or we're going to have our loved ones with us until that moment as well. We might live our lives in ways that uh, we feel, um, you know, if we do certain things, it will get what we deserve, you know, that we have some level of control uh, that is actually beyond the scope of our control. There's many ways in which we live our lives that ignores this truth. And there's so much um, dissonance that arises because of that. We find ourselves disappointed or um, devastated or confused and angry when when things don't work out or things don't go the way we think they should have gone or they should be, when we aren't who we thought we should be. And so I want to explore this uh, in different ways. I want to explore this truth, um, acknowledging that, yes, we all know it, and, yes, we're maybe not fully... um, allowing this truth truth to penetrate into our being, into our full knowing. And if we did, what would that be like? How would we live our lives differently if we did? So I remember this quote um, from Ajahn Chah and its effect on me um, because it was at a time where um, I was, like I said, I was really searching. And the reason I had been searching, I had been searching for a long time, is that years prior, I had experienced a series of losses. Um, so now we're, we're going uh, back to high school days. And I experienced within uh, about a two-year period uh, the death of uh, beloved and very close grandparents, um, the death of two friends from school, um, the divorce of my parents, and then um, it, it might seem kind of abstract with all those really personal things happening, but um, I was in all as all this was happening. Um, Columbine shootings happened and I was a sophomore at the time and I had this feeling like 
all these major structures of my life were crumbling, that they were disappearing. And I was coming in contact, although I don't think I had the language at the time, um, but looking back on it, I was coming in contact with instability, just the truth of instability of, um, of this impermanence of the lack of control that I had over all these major events that were happening in my life. And I'm sharing this um, because I'm guessing we've all had times in our lives, maybe you're going through a period right now that is similar to this, where it just feels like the infrastructure of life is crumbling. And for me at that time, I felt very close to death because I was surrounded by all these major deaths. Um, I remember having these thoughts that I wasn't going to make it to graduation. For no particular reason, I was a healthy teen. I wasn't doing a bunch of drugs or doing, you know, you know I don't know. Have, I don't know. Bad behavior, I don't know what that would be. But I was a pretty good kid. But I felt really uncertain all of a sudden that I was going to make it to graduation. I remember that feeling. It was very heavy at the time. But it felt very true, too, and no one was talking about it. You know, and I wondered how many people in my class were having those same feelings, or if it was just me alone. Why weren't we talking about that? That we're all going to die, and yet we were all living as if day to day, that wasn't true. So this struck me in a really strong way at a really young age, but in a way that I didn't understand. It wasn't liberating. It was terrifying. I struggled through um, a lot of anxiety, depression. Um, I did graduate, (laughs) to my surprise. And um, in my college years, felt... um, that residue, though, continue. This feeling of something more was happening here that no one was talking about. Uh, And I wanted to get close to that, but I also wanted to numb out from it because it just was, it just felt like too much of a reality. And so there was both of those going on. Maybe some of you have experienced that or are experiencing that now. This feeling like, I don't really want to deal with it, but I also want to get really close to this truth. And so somewhere in there I found the Dharma, I found meditation, and it kind of came in in chunks. People giving me books, thinking that I might like them, and it being a Thich Nhat Hanh book, and thinking, oh, this is kind of, this is different, this is interesting, but didn't think of them as Buddhist. It didn't even occur to me that Buddhism was a thing that I might be interested in. Uh, It wasn't until um, maybe 2004 that I found myself in a meditation hall on the peninsula here in California, um, the Redwood City uh, Meditation Center, and sat for the first time and just felt blown away that all that anxiety, all of that, hurt, um, confusion was in my mind. (laughs) That it was something that was going on in my mind and that I could look at it and I could see it and I could 
interact with it and do something with it. It just astounding to me how little control over my mind I had. And I was so excited to explore that. And so when I heard this quote, I think I was ripe for this information. I was so excited to find this really different practice that was pointing to something. I wasn't sure what it was yet, but it clearly was something I was missing. And and then to hear these really simple words about impermanence, it just brought the whole thing down for me. Oh, we're going to talk about this? I was so excited. It was so meaningful to finally be able to stop all of that surface layer of, you know, confusion and, you know, all the, the BS that we kind of maybe live in and go below it to something that felt more real and relevant. Um, I still feel, of course, that this is incredibly relevant. But at the time, it was so new. This truth about impermanence. And so, of course, there's many religions and... and, uh, philosophies that, that touch into this truth of impermanence, the truth of things, of all things, into dharma. Dharma isn't Buddhist. Dharma is just the truth of how things really are. So there's all these different ways, all these different systems that bring us down into this uh, undercurrent, into something that is much more real, And Buddhism is one of those ways in. It has one of those, it's a lineage, it's a root system that goes down into this deeper truth. We can touch it with our practice. We touch upon it with our practice. When we are sitting here in meditation and we're practicing just with our breath, and we're learning ways to relax and come into ease with whatever is arising, even when it's really difficult. When we're learning to pay attention closely and to see the coming and going of experience, to actually, in real time, be in relationship with impermanence. There's so many ways in which uh, this practice that seems so simple, as far as its instructions, it's very simple, but it's bringing us down into something that's very real and very deep, into this truth, into the Dharma. And then out of that, we can start to bring to light these truths like the truth of impermanence and start to apply it to our understanding and the way that we move in the world. When we do touch upon it, sometimes there's a misunderstanding that it is the impermanent nature of things that is causing us suffering. In some strange, intuitive way, that makes sense. You know, that the fact that we can't control things and the fact that things are always changing, that that must be what's bringing us so much suffering. And there are 
traditions and, and uh, philosophies that um, the whole point is to transcend this physical world, to transcend that impermanence. But that's not what the Buddha taught. The Buddha taught us to turn towards it. He taught that our suffering is not because of the impermanence, it's because of our clinging, our grasping onto the concepts that go against these natural laws of how things really are. It's in these concepts, these concepts that are, that are within our mind, that are within our societies. Um, we are, as a community, believing together these, these ideas. And they bring us a lot of suffering. This word suffering is used a lot in Buddhism. Uh, the Pali translation is dukkha. And then when you translate that back to English, it's not a perfect translation into suffering. Sometimes it's translated just as suffering. Other times um, it's dissatisfaction, uh, just being dissatisfied, that, that little rub with life. It's just not quite right. I want it a different way, or I want something that's not here. It's also been translated as stress, just, a, just simple stress. And all of that being caused by uh, this clinging. And one of the ways we cling is to um, these ideas or these concepts that go against impermanence, anicca. So impermanence is not the problem. In fact, like I said, the more we can practice with this concept, when we can find ourselves in conflict with this truth and learn to relax into this ever-changing flux of life, the more we can be at ease with that and not be... um, so blindsided by it, or um, I love the feel the, the the description of dukkha as friction. Be in this friction with change. You know, if you take your hands right now and put them together, and push them together tightly, and then move them back and forth like this, and create that friction friction within your hands, you can feel there's tightness there. There's a lot of efforting happening to make that. And then if you let go and put your hands down. And of course, this is just an example, but you can feel that relief. And that's what it's like to relax into the truth of impermanence, of change, to not fight it. And we can do that by getting close to it, to get to see, get to know What are our habits? What are the ways in which we are fighting this truth? So I thought maybe we could do a little brainstorming um, as a community around the ways that we um, have concepts or beliefs that uh, go against this natural law of 
impermanence and see what we come up with. Um, and I think for the sake of time, we'll just maybe we'll, we'll take a moment to go uh, inside, however you might do that. Just bring your attention towards yourself and be really honest with yourself. What are the beliefs or the concepts that you hold on to that you live your day-to-day with that go against this truth of impermanence? See what comes up. It might be just phrases. It might be some images, memories. And this isn't a practice of, you know, beating yourself up for whatever it is that you're, you know, noticing about yourself as far as this question. It's just to notice and to learn how you relate to Anicca in your daily life. Okay? And then let's, um, let's hear from a few of you and we'll collect some ways together that we aren't really living in alignment with this particular truth. And some brave soul is going to go first. Yeah, go ahead. Great. Um, I have a house and a good job, and mm-hmm. um, and I and those are mine. Mm-hmm. And those are yours. And is it the idea that they'll always be there? Uh, yeah, it's um, it's a thought that like I'm putting in a lot of work, and I have you know gotten an education, and I've developed a job, and I have this responsibility, and it's this stability in my life or Mm-hmm. Um, um, that I'm deserving of it, or that it's why I have I I do the things I do every uh-huh. day. Uh huh. Uh huh. Thank you. Um, the endless to do list uh-huh. that um, can keep me from um, gifting myself the time out in nature that I would like, where I'd like to be, or to get together with a friend, or to take my dog for a walk. I, the to-do list can be my, my slave master. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I often find myself stuck in the belief that things are horrible and they can't get any better. Mm-hmm. And that they've always been that way, and it's always going to be that way. Yeah. But almost all of the evidence is that things were much worse 100 years ago, or 200 Mm. years ago, or 500 years ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, penicillin. (laughs) Penicillin. (laughs) Legal slavery. Mm -hmm. Don't do that anymore. Yeah. So, it's particularly in this little era that we're living through right now, yeah. Sometimes I sometimes lose sight of the fact that this is temporary too. Mm-hmm. 
but it's always temporary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Mm-hmm. I once again am falling in, into the trap of taking things personally, mm-hmm. and I know I shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. That and, on occasion, expectations. Great. That's fine. There's so many ways in which we live our lives not in accordance with this law. And, you know, it's... It's interesting, like, sometimes I wonder, well, if we all did that, <laughs> what would, you know, would we get things done, or, um, you know, who, who's going who's gonna to do stuff and, and be responsible for certain things, and um, I'm not sure the idea is, you know, okay, so drop everything, and... Um, go do whatever you want to do. <laughs> but more so getting in touch with the preciousness of these lives, the preciousness of each moment, the preciousness of each other. I've been thinking lately, um, just as far as the intersection of um, Buddhism and ecology, um, and I gave that talk a few weeks ago on the subject and I've been thinking about the relationship with the earth and human beings and, um, and the earth and how maybe we feel um, like we are the worst things that ever happened to it. <laughs> you know, that we are somehow destroying, we're destroying nature, that we're destroying this planet. And... Uh, we haven't been a, a healthy partner to this planet in more recent uh, centuries. But we are of nature, that we are part of the system. Uh, and that the system is evolving in different ways to, to meet what we're doing. And we are needing to now evolve in certain ways to meet uh, the limitations of the system and to come back to something that's more connected. And I've been wondering lately if uh, part of our relationship with this web of nature is not separate. It's not like all of nature and then we're in this other section here, but that we're integrated, that we're fully integrated in nature, whether we are conscious of that or not, whether we relate to it in that way or not. And that nature, the different forms of nature that we are uh, in this web with, sustain us. We can't live without all that is not human. We, we need all of these things to survive. And then as far as what our relationship is in, in that system is maybe that here we are, we're this 
this being that has these minds and these hearts that can awaken, that can, um, when they are awakened, put something so nourishing back into the planet, back into nature, that when we are in alignment with truth, not just the truth of impermanence, there's many different truths, but impermanence is one of them, but when we are living our life in alignment of that, it's, it's not that we just forget everything and um, go you know, sit in a cave somewhere, cross-legged and wishing for peace for all beings. You can do that. Some people are doing that. But there's many different ways we can express this wisdom, this compassion, putting it back into the planet. Many creative ways. We have agency here. That the more we get in touch with these truths, the preciousness of our lives and all the life around us, that what we can put back into that cycle or back into that web is unique in some ways and and not unique in a lot of ways, that we're just part of what nature does. But we just have fallen out of remembering that in some way. And so coming into deep truth with this impermanence is one of the ways I think we can link back into this ancient knowing that we are already a part of, but we've somehow forgotten. So that's one way that we can hold a deeper understanding um, of this impermanence. Another might be in the more classical insight of impermanence. So there's certain classical insights within this tradition that we come in contact with. And um, sometimes they come in a particular order, sometimes they're a bit random. But um, it's when we come into real knowing of a truth that it comes out of our cognitive understanding and becomes something that is embodied. That's something that is uh, more deeply known through our whole system. And so this truth of impermanence, this insight in impermanence is one of these. And an important part of the spiritual development and essential to awakening. And when... Um, when this truth is often um, uh, found through the meditation process, it's often within a meditation and seeing uh, not just impermanence in the way we've talked about it so far in these kind of these big blocks of experiences of life, but more the second-to-second experience of impermanence, of change. That within a breath, There's so much going on. There's so much happening that life is changing at a pace that our brains can't put together. Science has proven this, uh, but Buddhists have known it for centuries. That on a cellular level, we aren't who we were uh, when we first arrived here. (laughs) That's pretty amazing. That's really incredible. But of course, we don't think about that. We are, you know, I'm Kate. I've been sitting here for a while. <laughs> you know, it's me. And that's true too. That is also true. 
But then there's this deeper underlying truth that we can tap into that this sense of who I am is actually in incredible flux. My thoughts are constantly changing. My emotions are constantly changing. My cellular structure is changing. Hormones, you know, all the different things that are going on in your body. Your breath alone, you're breathing in air, it becomes a part of you. And then you breathe it out and it's no longer yours. Just within that breath, you've changed incredibly. And so we can, we can explore this a little bit uh, through a meditation. I'll just guide you briefly. Um, it helps to close your eyes. And what I'd like you to do is slow down the breath and take long, deep breaths. And see what it's like to experience that breath like this. Milliseconds. Knowing that as you're breathing, you're changing. Your body is working really hard, actually, but efficiently at making that oxygen part of your bloodstream, part of your whole system. It's affecting your nervous system. And so affecting different hormones in the brain and and through the body, just within a breath. That the body moves, it expands, it contracts. There's all these little micro uh, sensations within just an in-breath, just the beginning of an in-breath, and so on. And then in feeling that, widen your awareness to not just include yourself, but be conscious now that there are all these people here in the room going through similar processes, although each of us, our bodies, are working in different ways. We're in different states of health. Our nervous systems are differently regulated. And yet all this change and flux is happening within all these individuals in these microseconds within just a breath. And then expanding your imagination to include not just the people in this room, but within one breath, all the different things that may be in flux Within this, within this planet, on this planet. You can't fathom it. It's so beyond our capacity to hold that information, 
but we can touch into it with our imaginations. The incredible power of Anicca. There's life happening, life coming into this world, babies being born in this in-breath, as well as many dying, taking their last breath, There are people who are getting the best news of their life in this moment and the worst. There are people who are just going about their day or their evening. People sleeping, people walking to work, people on the phone, people having conversations. There's so much happening within an in-breath. It's humbling. You can open your eyes if you'd like. It's humbling, isn't it, to think of life in this way. It, it, it changes something about how we hold ourselves, about this idea of our own permanence and what that means in the greater scheme of things as far as just, you know, okay, we're alive in this moment, but will we in the next? Uh, we're maybe well enough to be here in this moment, but what about the next? So there's impermanence in that way, but also just the impermanent nature of this constantly changing form that um, oftentimes it's said that we're more of a verb than a noun. If we think of ourselves as a verb, how we relate to ourselves, the sense of self, this, this me. You're here. You are here. You're here. And what you are may not be what you think you are. <laughs> and when we can relax into that, our mind, our hearts open. We don't have to fight so much, or maybe not at all. The fight, though, can be there. Oftentimes, when people go through the classical insight of seeing this coming and going really quickly in their meditation experience, usually it's on retreat or they're really concentrated when this happens. The mind is very concentrated and starts to see very clearly uh, these moment-to-moment experiences. Uh, sometimes people just go through it and go, wow, that was interesting. Other times people end up in real fear. And that was my experience um, when I experienced this, was just this uh, state of fear that was primal. felt like a primal fear that came up. Um, and I wasn't even sure why until later, but it felt like somehow touching into this truth of impermanence was like a threat to my life, that kind of primal fear. And what I came to understand a little bit later, through more practice, intensive practice, was that, you know, in a way, um, there was something that was being threatened. This sense of self, the the solidity of self, was under great threat, which is a beautiful thing. (laughs) But until we're really ready to see that and understand that, it's really terrifying. There's 
There's a story that's often told when yogis go through this. And it's uh, um, someone jumping out of a plane uh, with their parachute. Or they think they have their parachute. And they're ready to deploy the, the parachute. And they reach back and suddenly realize they're not wearing one. And the fear that must come as that person is falling down, down, down through the sky with what seems like will be hard ground and certain death. But in the Buddhist telling of the story, uh, there is no parachute, but there's also no ground. This is from the Diamond Sutra. So you should view this fleeting world, a star at dawn, a bubble in a stream, a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, a flickering lamp, a phantom, and a dream. These things that we, these concepts, these way that we may have moved about the world that is so solid and maybe in our control and stabilized for us. Uh, when those are challenged, that's when the dukkha comes in. When we can let go into more of this truth of impermanence, that's where freedom comes in. We're not hitting ground. The fear is there that we will, but there is no ground. There is no um, death except for to that that is this sense of self, this clinging nature. And finally, I want to point to something that comes from the misunderstanding of these truths again. That sometimes this is used as a spiritual bypass. And I want it to be really clear that this is, becomes really dangerous territory when we do this. That, you know, things, things come and they go, things just happen to us. This idea of things just happen to us. You know, that we're not in any control. And that, uh, you, know, what, you know, what does it matter then? Uh, this is pretty dangerous. We can cause a lot of harm if that is our spiritual lens. And it's also just not true. We do have agency. We do have choice in moments. Especially when we are clear about these laws of nature. Uh, this is the role of karma, that you know, what we do has a ripple effect in the world. It has a ripple effect in our life. And so instead of taking this more bypass view and way of approaching impermanence, the wise way to approach it is with this sense of preciousness, that these lives are precious and that we can live in a way 
that expresses that preciousness by not causing these ripple effects of harm in the world, by instead uh, creating um, healing and care for ourselves and for each other, for this planet. All of this really matters. It matters deeply that it's because everything is so impermanent and fleeting and changing that actually we're needed, we're called to live a life that is in accordance with that and in accordance of non-harming and in accordance with love and care and compassion. When we realize that all of these people here among us are impermanent and that unless you completely freed your minds and hearts, that we're all suffering in our own way. That we can come into deep compassion for each other and to learn how to lift each other up rather than to, you know, not just tear each other down, but to think of each other as other in some way, that we're othering each other in some way that creates more disconnect, that creates more of separation between ourselves and these natural laws. So I've talked about impermanence as one of the natural laws. There are two more in traditional Buddhism that I'll talk about through um, the next number of weeks that I'll be here. Uh, So I'll be here next week, and then I'll be back in a couple weeks after that and talk about um, dukkha, which is the truth of suffering and what that really is, um, as well as anatta, which is the truth of non-self. Not no-self, but non-self, what is not-self. And all of these tie together. They're called the three characteristics. And these are the characteristics um, of, of life, of, how, of the natural law of things. And so we'll explore these each time together, and this is just the beginning <laughs> of the conversation. They all tie together. They weave together really beautifully. Um, it's almost like you can't talk about one without bringing in the other two. Um, so we'll continue the conversation. But I'm wondering right now, with all that I said and through the practices, those uh, experiential practices I led you through, if there's any questions about this particular theme. And we'll just pass the, the mic and we can hear from a few of you before we finish this evening. Okay. So it's either really clear <laughs> or you're really tired. <laughs> Both are fine. <laughs> so we'll, we'll end there and dedicate the merit this evening.
So this dedication of merit that we do at the end of our our talk each Thursday is um, a time to recognize the wholesomeness of coming together in this way, of spending our time practicing the Dharma, practicing our meditation, listening to the Dharma, uh, that when we, we do this, that in itself has a particular ripple effect that goes into our life and also affects the people within our lives. So we, we bring this practice with us. It affects our loved ones, the people we work with, the people in our direct community. It also, I think, has a way of rippling out into the world in ways we don't even understand. And so in that spirit, we can dedicate the merit of this evening to all beings everywhere. And in particular, we have one card uh, this evening. It says, to please share the great joy uh, with, is it Jamie? With Jamie, who after 17 years in the system, five probations, ten in prison, and two on parole, has completed the process. Does that mean, what does that mean for him? She... She's completely free. So this is for, for Jamie. Oh, keep her on our, our hearts this evening. May this benefit her as well as all beings everywhere. May all beings find happiness and contentment in their lives. May all beings be safe from inner and outer harm. May all beings be healthy in their mind and in their body. May all beings be free. May we all be free. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.